All right. Hello and welcome, Vista family. This is giving you something to talk about or just a live TV, as I like to call it. I'm your host, Melissa Kretschler. I am currently coming off of a massive head cold. So if I sound funny or need to blow my nose, I apologize in advance. I also have a migraine. So we are showing up full force today um, after a week out of being sick. So today we're going to be discussing healing your trauma. Um, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of all of that. Uh, today's episode has been sponsored by Phoenix Identity. Uh, if you're feeling desperate to feel like yourself again, but you don't even know what that means or what it looks like, let them help you reconnect to who you are, what you like, what you love, and a life you feel blessed to be living. So go and check that out. They have a one-off clarity session um, for $97, or you can get their um, three-month life crisis package by using the coupon code 911. So go and take a look at that and I'm going to like, follow, and share the show. Join our, join our newsletter. As now I've got the hiccups. Great. Um, join our newsletter. You can find us at Just Alive TV across multiple social media and podcasting platforms. And I'm going to hand it over to my guest speaker, Mary, to introduce herself. Mary, would you like to do the honors? Well, hi, everybody. My name is Mary Held. I'm a PTSD survivor. Um, I used... Uh, EMDR to do my recovery. And I'm the author of the book, Unfreezing Trauma, my private journal of EMDR recovery that goes through and explains everything that happened in every one of those sessions. But there's, you know, a couple of takeaways I'd like to talk to people about today. Absolutely. Feel free. Okay. Um, how PTSD affected me was different than many people, although it's, I've, as I've looked around, it is not that, that odd. But what I had were called PNESs, psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. And I started having these seizures when my life was fine. I mean, there wasn't any particular trauma happening in my life. I had just moved back from overseas back to the States and the States were in kind of a mess like they are today. Um, and so there was some, some discomfort with what had happened to my country while I was gone. But, you know, I'm back to teaching. I'm teaching in a class, things are going along fine. When all of a sudden I started feeling shaky, I had somebody come and take my class and all of a sudden, my arm just started flying all over, just like that. And I went to the doctor. They, they thought it was stress. You know, it progressively got worse. I was living in Arizona. They said, you should move back to your family. You need more support. I moved back in with my father. Not the least stressful place in the world. Um, got a new diagnosis. They said I had epilepsy. So we went with epilepsy for a while um, and ended up with a psychiatrist that was supposed to be doing things. When they turned me loose from epilepsy, they said that it was some kind of psychological problem. So they sent me to the psychiatrist who just continued all the epilepsy drugs and had me in talk therapy. And this didn't do much. Um, 
It didn't do much at all. What the drugs did was make me sleep. As he increased the drugs, I slept more. I got to the point where my life was mainly just sleeping and seizing and going to see a doctor and come back home and sleeping and seizing and it wasn't working. And I decided that it was the drugs. So I started cutting back on the drugs and I went in to see the psychiatrist and he said, well, we're gonna do a blood, a blood level today. So they did it and they said, the level of this drug is not therapeutic, which really didn't make sense because I didn't have epilepsy anyway. So why did they care whether I had adequate epilepsy drugs in my system? And so I started telling him all about why I was trying to go down and he stopped me and he said, you can either on your own increase your dosage or we're going to put you in the hospital and make you increase your dosage. So I turned around and I said, oh, okay, I'll increase my dosage. I'll do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. And this is what I told him. But what I did was I played bad patient. I didn't miss my appointments. I didn't go in. You know, I messed around like that. And during that time, I had had a new insurance kick in. Medicaid had kicked in and Medicare, I think, had both kicked in. And so I could go to some other psychiatrist. I found another psychiatrist, started there, established myself with him. And the first time he knew that I was leaving was when I sent the papers requesting my records be sent. So I got out of that one, which, which was pretty good. This next guy said, okay, well, let's get off all the meds and see what the problem is. And we kind of got to the, to the trigger kind of idea you know, of too, not enough sleep, not eating the right food, around loud noises and big empty echoey places and, you know, things that would, that would make me have seizures. And so we played with that and we got to the point where, okay, maybe I should, I could do these things and make it so that I would know that I could go somewhere and not have a seizure. Because I couldn't, you know, it's hard to have friends, it's hard to have regular activities when you can't go because you're having seizures so often. You just end up not going anywhere. So I said, maybe I should work. He said, no, why don't you do something that's fun? So I joined a choir. I made it to every choir practice. I made it to the performance. You know, we were doing Mozart choral work. So this was serious choral work. It was great fun. It was wonderful. I made it through. And then I said, okay, now maybe I can get a job. And I found this job teaching music to the little kids, <laughs> to the preschool, which was an hour and a half a day every other day. So I worked Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an hour and a half each day. And I could manage it so that I didn't seize during that time. And this was, I was doing real good. I was doing real good, I thought. Compared to not doing anything, this was doing real good. Yep. So the, some changes started happening in the city. They, they got rid of their bus system that we had used. Um, 
a person I was using for my 12-step sponsor left town. There was a big upheaval in the 12-step meetings that I went to, lots of brouhaha and stuff. The people that I worked for were both retiring. There would have been new people coming in. And I picked up a book by this man who writes murder mysteries set at Michigan State University, which is where I, this is where I call home and where I've been home for a long time. And I thought, why not move back to Michigan? And I got online and found out that there was an opening teaching math at the community college. That's where I left to go overseas. And I contacted him and they said, oh, hooray, you're back, come, come. So I had a job and I went up there and we started trying to do 12 hours a week. We couldn't, it got back to nine hours a week. That was pretty steady. And I managed to go to like three 12 step meetings. And then I could go out and do grocery shopping. And about once a month, I would go out with somebody. So this is, you know, I'm doing pretty good, you know? Then my son tried to kill himself. It was not successful, but it rocked my world and things started going downhill. And I started having seizures at work, not being able to do the nine hours not being able to do things. I'm sitting in a in one of my 12-step meetings and I'm having a seizure. The guy next to me puts his arm on me and it stopped. And usually if somebody puts their arm on me, it just goes more. It stopped. And after the meeting, he said, there's this thing called EMDR. I want you to try. So I think it would help you. And he gave me the name of a book and the name of a therapist. And you know, so for a little while, I just didn't pay any attention. I'm like, yeah, right. Another thing. It's not going to work. I've tried what they wanted, blah, blah, blah. But then I thought, you know, this is intolerable where I am. I got to get my little act together and try to find out more. Yep. So I got my little act together, got my little little bits of courage here and there and put it all together and got a little, little pile and made some phone calls and ended up, well, I can't, I don't take your insurance, but maybe so-and-so does. I don't take your insurance, maybe so-and-so does. Getting that roundabout kind of way and not finding anybody. And finally I found somebody. I was ready. I was ready for EMDR. And the things that I had read sounded like miracles. I didn't know if it would have anything to do with my seizures, but I knew it would have stuff to do with the things that I had experienced that were all locked up in this side of my head. So I went ahead and did it. And it was like a miracle. I would start into a session with a belief the whole world is conspiring to get me. They all know I'm here and the evil can find me. And we go through a, through a trauma and, and it's like in the trauma, as you're going through it, you notice things. Like the first one we did was when I was beat up by this man. And my little tunnel vision has me on the floor and he's kicking me with the shoes and he drags me upstairs and you know that kind of thing. But in the EMDR, as I watched the fingers go back and forth and replay the trauma, I could see the 
couch. I could see the carpet. I could see a statue that we had. I was noticing things that grounded it in, in a place in time. And the big thing, I after he had drugged me upstairs, he was going to put me in this tub of boiling water and drown me or whatever. And he turned away for a minute and I ran. I ran across the street. I grabbed hold, burst into these people's houses, grabbed onto the little, little um, thing for the stairs. So I'm holding on to the stairs and he comes in and I'm hysterical. He walks in and he says, she got some bad acid. I'll take her home, take her off your hands. And the woman reaches down and starts to pry my fingers off. And I was stuck there. Whenever I would go through, I would be stuck when she started doing that. But the next thing that happened, that actually happened, when I, you know, as I looked through it in a different way, her kids were like in their pajamas. They're all getting ready to go to bed. There's, you know, she doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And I gave her my friend's phone number. She called my friend. My friend came and picked me up and he didn't get me that night. But I had been stuck there. And at the end of that, this idea that the whole world was out to get me was gone. It was like, no, this was, this was a bad man. That was a good woman. This, this kind of balances something. This means that he was bad. Not that the whole world is bad. Not that everybody wants me to have horrible things happen. It didn't mean that. And so we went through traumas after traumas. Boy, I'm just talking nonstop. <laughs> um, and and processed the traumas that had messed up my life. And we finished the end of the, the last trauma, the seizures had stopped. And, and I could live a normal kind of life. Yeah. So with PTSD, um, for anybody who doesn't know or, or is unaware of what PTSD is, PTSD is when you relive your trauma and it isn't grounded to a specific incident or a specific time frame. It, you're reliving it over and over and over again um, as if it was right now, right here and right there. You're not looking back at a memory. You're experiencing it again and again and again. And that's what post-traumatic stress dis disorder does. Now, there are different variations of it, um, but that is what PTSD is. Now... I love that you said, or, or not that love that you said, um, I was going to say something else, but let's backtrack for a second. The mental health system today is, I want to say broken, but it's not broken. What it is, is it's outdated. Um, we are in a society where, you know, everything's getting better and bigger and, and we're becoming more aware and things are changing. But what ends up happening is you have this mental health system that is, that is built on an archaic idea. And the archaic ideas that they have in the mental health system aren't taking into consideration the growth that we've made as individuals, as mental health professionals, geniuses, whatever that looks like. These ideas that we have, like me and my smarter method, right? 
that's a revolution a revolutionized uh, mental health practice that's not put into place yet because everybody gravitates to the mental health professionals, which is great. I absolutely, if you want to go to counseling therapy, um, absolutely do it. But understand that every one of my clients has been through mental health. They've been through, you know, counseling, therapy, all of that. And while it's great, it's taught them coping mechanisms. It's not actually getting to the root cause of what's creating the issues today, right? Um, and then it's, I, I did a pre-screening interview today with somebody and that episode is coming October 21st. So look out for this episode because it goes hand in hand with today's, um, is that we don't, um, the mental health system is trying to teach you to learn, learn to live with it. Yes. Right. It's learn to live with it. It's not, we can fix it. It's not, we can heal you. It's not, we can you know, help you look at your trauma a different way. It's no, learn to live with it. And that's what the mental health system has become. Learn to live with it. That's the medications. That's, you know, the, the coping techniques and coping mechanisms that aren't actually changing the way that you view the trauma in the first place. That's why EDMR or EMDR, that is why, you know, the smarter method, that's why, you know, tapping. And there's so many different things that, that are coming out now Yes. But because we're so, because society is told, hey, we need to go to this part or we need to go this path, right? Um, and, and not only that, but you add on to that is benefits. You mentioned benefits, right? There, we don't, we can't, we're not part of that system. If we, uh, if, if the mental health system or even benefit providers said that you could go to a holistic practitioner or a holistic practice or, you know, hypnotherapy or anything along those lines that's not generally covered under benefits, that would open up the doors a lot more. That would open up the doors to more holistic practices, more new age practices that are going to revolutionize what mental health looks like. Um, my clients within six months, they're, they're good they, you know, they're still going to deal with shit. They're still going to go through stuff that they don't want to go through, but they know how to handle it. They know how not to be triggered. They know what to do when they get triggered. They know what to do through that trauma and they don't need me anymore. They know how to do, they know how to stand on their own two feet and, and heal. So that's where I was going with that is the mental health care system is not what it should be anymore. Um, uh, give me a second. Um, you can comment on that if you'd like. The, there aren't all of those other therapies that are proving to, to work. EMDR, when I did it, wasn't recognized lots of places. At this point, because it took me so long to get the book together and get out here. At this point, you can find EMDR people various places because it's got the kind of background that they want. But the other somatic therapies and the tapping haven't done all of the, you know, peer-reviewed studies and that kind of thing that they want you to have so that they can start it. I did my EMDR in four months. And good for me, but bad for therapists in that they 
their client turnover is higher than they wanted it to be. And I think part of this slowing EMDR down to take longer is just to make the the therapist feel better. But you know what? Feel like they're doing more. But they're not. I don't think it would though. I've I've actually spoken to many therapists, right? And you look at therapy. Um, you look at therapy therapists across the globe. They're overworked, underpaid, and you know they're they're drowning and they're struggling. And I, I see this in therapists across the globe. But if you actually use the techniques like the Smarter Method, like EDMR or EMDR. Um, I have it written both ways. So is it EDMR or EMDR? EMDR. I EMD. desensitization and reprocessing. Okay. So the Good. eye movement is the first part. That's the EM. Okay. <coughs> Sorry. But if you think about it, so like you and I, right? So I'm a coach. I deal, I deal primarily in the mental health, um, mental health industry when it comes to my identity coaching, right? I, I take the place or I work in tandem with therapists and counselors. And like I said, usually within three to six months, depending on the case, um, my clients don't need me anymore. They move on. You know, if they need me down the road, that's great. You know, we can have a one-off session or check-in or whatever that looks like. They don't need me anymore because that's, that's what I want. Um, the amount of people in the population of global, we're not, we're not just talking the U S and Canada, we're talking globally, the amount of people who are waiting on wait lists to see therapists who are waiting on, you know, um, funding to see therapists. If, if, if we use those techniques and made therapy a less, a less length of time or shorter length of time, then that's more people in the long run, you get to help, you get to see, you can help grow, right? And it, it frees you up a little bit more, right? It's, I don't know about you, but I don't want to work with somebody over a year. That's stale and that's stagnant. If I haven't helped you within that year, then you're not going to be helped by me. It, it's, it shouldn't take that long, right? And don't get me wrong, there are more complex things, you know, people with DID or dissociative identity disorder. There are people with traumatic PTSD or complex PTSD, but even those, there are ways like EMDR, like the the smarter method that can help assist that and create a faster healing time and the ability to do it on our own without the need for a therapist, without the need for a coach or somebody to be there to guide us through it because we learn it while doing it ourselves. For EMDR, I think the therapist is important in that in that having somebody witness it and having the, the bilateral stimulation, you get to places and you can get to unsafe places. And you do need somebody to be with you because the change is so great that you wonder, am I going crazy or what? Because I walk into a session knowing that just to think about this incident terrifies me. And then two hours later, it's like, well, that's just another thing that happened in my life. You know, it had happened a long time ago. So let's not let it affect today. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That change is so phenomenal 
that it's good to have somebody there that witnesses it and For you sure, can yeah. say this is this is what happened and they're like yeah, yeah that's what's supposed to happen that's what this therapy is this yeah. therapy moves you from one place to another yeah even now, mine right you need somebody there for those first the while you're healing right you need somebody there while you're healing and not everybody there are people who feel on their own and great you know I'm, I'm proud of you for doing that but majority of us need somebody there while we're going through that because there is that recurring trauma there is that you know that fear I do past life regression in my spiritual side <coughs> so it's a lot of hypnotherapy and with that you need somebody there to to, to help just hold your hand and say you're not alone you're in control you're okay right and yeah. just having that support system so um i wholeheartedly agree having somebody there is is definitely important so what do you think sorry my cold is still screwing with my throat today what what would be a message that you would want to share to people who are struggling with their trauma whether they're frozen in that trauma whether they're going through ptsd maybe it may be um, yeah, what, what, what do you want to say to people who are struggling with their trauma? I want to say to them that this is not a life sentence, that this is something hard that is in their life, but that they can get past it, they can get through it, and they don't have to live with it forever. You know, you, you see a lot of people who like identify their triggers and then it's like they think for the rest of their life, they're going to have these triggers and they just need to figure out how to deal around these triggers. Well, no, we can go to these triggers and diffuse these triggers. We can diffuse it. We can get to the point where, you know, throughout your body, throughout your spirit, throughout your soul, you can know that that incident is over that that thing is over and it is not happening now and it's not gonna attack you when you get out there. And if you hear a loud noise, that doesn't mean they're coming to get you. Yeah. And if a man raises his voice at you, you might think he's an asshole, but you don't think he's necessarily gonna lock you in a room. You know, you don't get afraid of that kind of thing happening. Nope. You get to the point where you can trust yourself and you you get when you when you're not understanding anything about how these things happen and why they happened and you know what was going on with them you can get to the point where you can discern people that are safe and people that are not safe and you can avoid the not safe people yeah you can avoid them. You can select against them. People do it all the time. We don't. I didn't because I had lost all faith in my ability. This whole thing, I mean, it started with one arm, but it went to both arms, both legs, my shoulders, my head. My trunk didn't get affected, so I didn't fall on the ground. But the rest of me was going. And you feel like that's a pretty, you can't defend your abilities very much when that's happening to you on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, 
it can't expect other people to take you as a rational, reasonable person who's got some kind of control in their life. And, and you can't think that about yourself either. You lose that about yourself, but you can regain it. You know, I'm safe in the world. As safe as anybody else is. Yeah. There's crazies out there, but I don't have, you know, it's not like I give off a scent that they follow me. I don't draw them to me all the time. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You don't feel like that anymore. I don't feel like that anymore. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I wanted to mention that I forgot to mention earlier, and I apologize, my daughter's school called me, so I had to um, answer that really quickly. Um, with, with the mental health system being the way it is, and with us feeling desperate for, for that help, right? And, and to feel like we know who we are and to feel like everything's going to be okay again, um, when you go through situations like Mary had, had mentioned at the beginning where you're going from one practitioner to another and they're all telling you the same thing or they're doing something differently or they threaten you, um, it can sour you to, to even getting help, right? And then you get to a point where it's just learning to live with it. This is my lot. This is where, I, you know, it, it, this is my life sentence, as, as Mary had mentioned. And it doesn't need to be that way. And um, there are other options for you. Mary had mentioned that, you know, somebody had touched her and mentioned the EMDR. And at first it was like, no, not another thing. I'm so tired, you know, of doing this anymore and, and trying to figure this out. You don't give up hope. Don't ever give up hope. There's always going to be something available that can help you. Um, you just have to find it and you have to be ready for it. Um, my smarter method, I don't work with anybody who isn't ready for it. And, and I'm very particular on that because if I don't be particular on that, um, I'm going to work with people who aren't ready and it's not going to work for them. You have to be ready and willing to do the work. Um, whether that's out of desperation, whether that's out of motivation, whatever your motive is for that, it's, it's figuring that out and doing it. And again, yeah, you're, have, you're not alone. We have to want it. We have to want it from the core of our being. We have to believe it. Even if it's just for little times, even if it's a little hope we keep alive and keep it pretty covered until we can trust somebody. You know, we have to have that because doctors don't know everything. You know, I mean, this shouldn't be any surprise to anybody, but doctors don't know everything. Particularly now when when you can't keep up with anything. I mean, they have to have specialists because there's so much knowledge out there. And even the that one of them isn't gonna get everything. it. No. Um, I have went, I have a medical condition that I see a specialist for. Um, and I've just been referred to another specialist because I am not um What's the word I'm looking for? I am, mine presents differently, right? So if you're healing trauma, whether you have a medical condition, whether you have a physical condition, whether you have a mental condition, whatever that looks like, it is not the same for everybody. And you may just be the breaker of the mold 
to say, this isn't how it looks for me. <coughs> because mine doesn't look the same as everybody else's. Um, mine has unique twists and turns. It's, you know, it's not, it's not the same. Um, so going that route, um, you're not alone. You, you never have to be alone. Um, find support groups, find people that you can, you know, start to trust or find different things that you may be able to try to help you to heal your trauma. Um, and the number one thing about healing trauma is acknowledging that there's trauma there. Um, whether you know what it is, what the root causes, whether you know what the tra traumatic event is, um, trauma can be a single word. Trauma can be something that you saw, somebody saying something to you. It could be an experience you had or the way that you were raised. Trauma can be something that you find absolutely natural, but was traumatic for you and you don't even know it. Um, so finding what the trauma is um, and, and acknowledging that you're not feeling okay is, is the first step. So first acknowledge it and know that you are not alone. It is absolutely okay. We all experience trauma. Um, none of us get out of traumatic. None of us, none of us are, are exempt from, from having trauma. Yeah, we present it in all kinds of different ways. And there's all kinds of different solutions to it. The, my last trauma that we dealt with was really a hidden one. It was the one that was hidden most deep in my mind with the, you know, I had concrete walls and concrete boxes with chains around them and you know my then and that's where the stuff was held you know and I'm barring the door so this whole half of my head is doing nothing but holding trauma and letting me not know about it and the final one we finally came to carried with it the thought that I should be dead if I was good if I had done right what I should have done I would be dead. So I should be dead. And, and even approaching that, when we approached it, when we started to approach it, I went through this week of feeling like that all the time. You know, I called my therapist and she worked with me and I called friends and they did this and that and the other. And, and I made it through the week. But it was hard even though intellectually I knew this can't be right. This can't be yeah. right. But all of my body and all of my emotions and everything said, this is true. This is, this is the reality. We didn't go in knowing that we didn't go in knowing about that at all. And we went through, I had like, I identified three major traumas right from the jump. And then there were a couple more that we added in that we discovered. And the first ones were easy. When you know what the trauma is, you know what the event is, those go through fairly easy. The ones that you don't know where they are, they just leave this seepage of bad feeling and, and strange ideas and stuff that you have to dig for. I dug through writing, I would write and, and all this stuff would come up and I would be amazed that I was writing it down. And then I would read it to my therapist at the beginning of every session. 
so that I couldn't do one of those. You walk in, how you doing? I'm fine. You know, it had to take a million years to get to anything worthwhile. We started with Jump Street, reading the stuff that I had written and knowing where I was and moving from there. And it, it, that's how my process happened. But I don't know a whole lot about the somatic techniques. I don't know a lot about microdosing or, or even the tapping. But I know that they exist and that there, there are other ways to do it. But you gotta, we gotta get our little act together. Say the doctors I've dealt with so far haven't done right by me. They haven't fixed this. They haven't given me any rays of hope. It's time now for me to fight for my life. It's time now for me to move in another direction and find that direction and keep searching for that direction. And I honestly believe that, that, that when we go searching, we will find, we will find things. If we are wholeheartedly searching, we are gonna find those things that we need. That's been my experience. It's been the experience with, with other people around me. You know, if all you wanna do is prove that nothing works, nothing's gonna work. But if you want to keep looking until something works, you're going to find it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, before we get going, um, what do you think are some, you know, intermittent coping skills or, or little things that people can do while, you know, trying to heal their trauma or before they're able to heal their trauma just to help with the symptoms? I think it would help. There wasn't a lot that helped me um, heal the trauma. There was stuff that helped me live through the time when the trauma was, was wrecking havoc in my life. And that was taking it one thing at a time and refusing to believe that this is my whole life. It's not my whole life. This doesn't mean it's going to last forever. This is a little part of my life that may be really bad, but it can change. To look at some of those thoughts I have and say, that's really not right. When I look at it rationally, if I look at people around me, get the idea that that's really not right. So I kind of begin to doubt all of the garbage that gets spewed out of my mind about me and about other people and about how the world works and what my role is in the world, that, that there's something radically wrong about how I'm lo looking at that. And that somebody else may be able to help me. That there's people around that, that can help me that can help us. No. We don't have to live there. You know, understanding that, reading some books about it. I'm, I've heard people who say they can't read it because it triggers them so much. Well, I found it very useful to read them and hear about people who 
got better, who got well, who seemed to have worse things happening than what was happening to me, and they got through it. It's like, well, there's a path. Other people have found a path. I can find a path. I can believe that there's going to be a path. And, and believing that and, and nurturing our hope, nurturing that. Because yep. it's, it's the best thing we've got. Yeah. For me, I think it's finding calmness, um, finding your calm in the storm, finding, you know, uh, a moment of peace where, you know, maybe you're just sitting and being. I think when, we, when we're able to yeah. ground ourselves and just put ourselves in this particular moment where we're not thinking about the past, we're not thinking about the future, we're thinking about right now, right here, whether it's, I don't have one in front of me right now, but you know, grabbing a crystal and rubbing it. Um, whatever, whatever you need to do in that moment, writing, um, writing down, right? I, you know, whatever it is that you can do that brings you back into this here and now, um, that helps you cope in the moment. That helps you cope while you're waiting or while you're trying to find your person or you're trying to find that thing that's going to work for you is trying different things, trying to bring yourself into the moment. Um, something that creates a focus point for you um, will help you in, in the midst of, of the trauma in the midst of the struggle and and all of that so um yeah I listen to you talk I think about childbirth mm -hmm. and and how some women go at it and it's like pain constant pain the whole time and I went through it with the Lamaze thing and we're doing the breathing and there's you know people intuitively understanding what's going on and and so you'd have a contraction and then you'd have a moment of peace. And then you'd have a contraction. The moment of peace wouldn't be real long. But if you're waiting for it and noticing it, you notice it. You can have it. You can enjoy it. You can say, okay, this is the process I'm in. Now I'm going to have another contraction. Yeah. And this is the process I'm in. We can do our life like that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Just that, that mindfulness, that one moment at a time. Um, all right. Well, if anybody wants to get a hold of either myself or Mary, you can do so. Our links are in the description of this video. Um, Mary, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciated your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was very interesting. Sounds great. Yes, it was. Sorry. <laughs> My mind is wandering. Um, see, mind wandering. It happens to the best of us. Um, like I said, my daughter's school called, so I'm kind of, that's in the back of my head right now. Um, like I said, if you want to connect with either myself or Mary, please do so. Our links are in the description of this episode. Uh, our sponsor, A Phoenix Identity, they help you reconnect your identity. And in the process of that, we are healing trauma. We are healing beliefs. We are learning who we are above and beyond everything that people say we are. We're getting back to our core. And that is one of the most transformational healing events we can ever have is getting back to who we are. So um, check that out. Check Phoenix Identity out. 
Um, if you'd like to be a guest on the show or if you have a topic you want to see featured, please reach out to justthelivetv.com, join our newsletter. And, you know, sharing is caring. Make sure you share episodes and get involved and comment when you, when you want to know something and we'll get back to you. All right. <clears throat> Again, thank you so much, Mary. You're welcome. All right. Lots of love just to family. I hope you have a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when and or where you are watching. <laughs> I'm Melissa Crutchler, your host. I will see you all on the next episode. Bye.